We told you about Bill 66, which has uh, already been passed by the Ontario legislature. It's uh, instituted, obviously, by the Ford government. Uh, essentially, this is going to have an impact on just about everybody who works at an hourly wage uh, and likes to make a couple of extra bucks or you know, is paid a few extra bucks uh, because they do an overtime shift. Ontario employers' uh, duty to pay workers overtime just got a little bit lighter following passage of uh, this Bill 66, which uh, observers say actually reduces some of the protections that had been in place uh, around excess hours and uh, being compensated for those. Now, joining us to talk about it is uh, Lior Sanfiro, of course, from Sanfiro to Markin LLP. Uh, of course, you can hear them every weekend here on 900 CHML. And wanted to, Lior, first of all, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you had some time to talk to us and maybe uh, shed some light on what's going on. Always my pleasure, Bill. Talk to us a little bit about uh, a couple of phrases that, that I've seen here in the, in the government's explanation about this. Uh, and, and I guess maybe the one that we need to talk about right off the bat is something called overtime averaging. What, what's that all about? Yeah, overtime averaging. So the general rule in Ontario is that you get paid overtime if you work more than 44 hours a week. So anything over 44 hours a week, you get time and a half. And interestingly, and some people don't realize this, is that this applies to both uh, hourly and salaried employees. So you still get time and a half if you work more than one and a half, uh, oh, sorry, if you work more than 44 hours a week. Now, for some employers, they may think, well, wait a second, that's unfair because, yes, we may have you work more than 44 hours, but usually you only work 35 hours, so the one time we ask you to work more than 44 hours, we should have to pay. Well, the, the way that this is dealt with is an employer is allowed to enter into an averaging agreement with an employee that would allow hours to be averaged over a specific period of time, let's say two weeks. So over that two-week period, if the average is more than 44 hours, then you get your overtime. But if it's not more than 44 hours, even though you may have worked more than 44 hours on a given week, you're not going to get overtime. Now, in the past, up until this, these changes happened, in order for that averaging to happen, uh, the employer needed to do two things. Number one is it needed to get the employee's uh, written consent to have an averaging period. And number two, that agreement had to be approved by the Ministry of Labor. So the Ministry of Labor had to say, yes, we are fine with you doing this uh, averaging system instead of just flat out paying anytime someone is working more than 44 hours a week. This new bill eliminated that second requirement. Therefore, employers now no longer have to have the government approve or the Ministry of Labor approve that over uh, the averaging agreement. The only thing that's required is the employee's consent. So uh, arguably now it's easier for the employer to, uh, to, to have an averaging period. And obviously, all things being equal for the employee, it's better not to have the averaging simply because that guarantees you that any time you work more than 44 hours a week, you get paid overtime regardless of what happened the week before and what's going to happen the following week, though. All right, a couple of questions about this. Uh, first of all, the, uh, the the qualification they see in here that they can do it now as long as the employee agrees to this. Uh, that's really putting the employee between a rock and a hard place. If you say, no, don't do this, where does that leave them? Yeah, you are absolutely right with one caveat. So, so you're right that, that most employees are going to feel very uncomfortable to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this. Uh, and they're going to feel the pressure. But there's two things we need to remember. Number one is an employer actually is not allowed to threaten, to punish, to require an employee to do this. And if they do, that is in itself a breach of the Employment Standards Act. There would be legal recourse and penalties that are available if the employer puts the employee in that position. But the second more, most interesting thing is that even though up until now the government had to approve it, 
Honestly, Bill, I can tell you from years of doing this, this was just a rubber stamping. So the government always essentially approved the averaging as long as it wasn't insane. Uh, so eliminating that requirement, I don't know, is going to really change that much. It's going to eliminate some red tape and potentially allow the employer to get these agreements in place faster. But it was very rare for the government to say, oh, gosh, no, we, we're not going to allow you to do the averaging. So for most people, while you know, they may feel that pressure, I don't know that the reality is really going to change. I don't know that the employers are going to necessarily be better off than what they are currently. But I guess the way I was looking at this, Lior, is uh, with that that caveat that you, that you've just mentioned here. Uh, if if I if my if my boss comes to me and does this, and I say no, I don't want you doing that. I don't want my overtime. Come on, that's that's the deal. We, I thought we had here. Uh, it, it, is that going to create a, a conflicting relationship between the employee and the ploy, employer at that stage? I mean, you know, am, am I going to be on thin ice? You, 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 it probably will. And even though the employer cannot flat out say to you, oh, I'm going to fire you because of that or I'm going to punish you, we both know that the employer can find other ways to, to uh, do things without it being explicit. Yeah, that we're going down the road of constructive dismissal then, aren't we? Constructive dismissal, you know, potentially things such as, you know, workplace harassment, et cetera. Those things can happen. But I don't know that that's that, what you just described, which, by the way, does happen. I don't know if that's because of this bill, only because even up until now, the employer could still do that to the employee because the employee's consent was always needed, uh, regardless of that, that rubber stamping by the government. But certainly, any time an employer asks an employee to do something, even if the employee is legally allowed to say no, when the employee says no, whether directly or indirectly, uh, there may be repercussions, which, of course, illegal, but sometimes uh, just the, the way it is when employers have more of the leverage, if you know what I mean. To, to go back to this whole concept about overtime averaging agreements, though, uh, I, I know it's been characterized now uh, by some of the people who have looked at this bill, Lior, and say, this is basically telling Ontario workers, uh, you, you're going to work more, but you're not going to get the money for it. You're not going to get paid what you're used to getting paid. In other words, work, work more, but get less. Is that a fair characterization? So as it relates to over, overtime averaging, I actually don't believe that to be uh, the case. And I, I don't believe that to be the case only because, as I said, the rubber stamping would have happened in any event. So it allows the employer to get to the end goal faster, but it doesn't really change the fact that they would have gone there anyway. I actually think the bill does something else that hasn't been talked about as much, which could be a problem, and it could actually result in people getting paid less, especially salaried employees, and that is uh, this. In that in the past, uh, up until uh, this new bill, an employer needed the government's approval to have a work week of more than 40, 48 hours a week. So an employer can only require an employee to work up to 48 hours. Anything beyond that, you needed the employee's agreement and the ministry's approval. Now, the ministry, the, the new bill eliminates that approval, so the, the government no longer needs to approve that. But here's where the interesting part is. When the government used to approve that excess hours of work, traditionally they never approved anything over 60 hours a week. Right now, because the government doesn't have to approve it, an employer can require or create a work week that's more than 60 hours a week, 65, 70 hours, for example, and the employee would have to work that. And for some employees who may potentially be exempt from uh, overtime, there, there's a, you know, a number of employees, managers, IT professionals, uh, certain other professionals that don't get overtime and they're on salary, they may be required to work 70 hours a week, still get the same weekly salary. So that is actually something that this bill does uh, intentionally or unintentionally. 
uh, in making life more difficult for Ontario workers. You mentioned uh, when you're trying to explain this to us, and, and, and you did it in such a great fashion, Lior, uh, about uh, the, the pay period time, the, the overtime averaging agreement, and you used the example of over two weeks. Now, my understanding is that uh, there's a lot more leeway there. They can uh, actually they can p- move this out and, and extend this for four weeks now, which is actually going to be beneficial to the employer, isn't it? Because, I mean, in a, in, a, in a contracted amount of time, you might still be able to qualify for a pair of a bit of overtime, but over a month... Uh, they can even those hours out and pretty much eliminate overtime payments. Yeah. So if you think about it in a month, if I have two weeks that I work more than 44 hours, in the normal way I'd get overtime on both those weeks, which could be substantial because it's time and a half. But if the other two weeks I work a bit less just because of work volume, I uh, it normally wouldn't have mattered. Well, right now, if the averaging period is four weeks, which an employer is allowed to do, the net effect is I don't get any overtime. So, yeah, by, by allowing that four weeks, all you need for that is the employee's consent, which, as you've said and I have agreed, an employee is almost going to give that consent, uh, then it does allow for employers to, to save quite a bit of money on overtime, and, and employees, the net effect of that is will make less overtime. Now, the cynic in me would suggest uh, that, that, okay, if I'm making a, a fair bit of money, or, or potentially a fair bit of money in those first two weeks of that pay period, uh, and, and I'm qualifying for that, uh, a, a a not-so-ethical employer is going to cut my hours back in the last two weeks to make sure that I fall below that average. And, and that's exactly uh, what, what some employers do. And the, the, agree, the idea behind the averaging was to simply allow for unusual situations where, yeah, overtime is not usual, but we had this one big project that required a lot of work, but it's not usual. Employers have been taking advantage of that often by, by manipulating hours so that over the averaging period, they're saving money, they don't have to pay overtime, uh, and keep in mind, though, and I want to remind our, our listeners today that an employee can say no, and if they're aware of the employer taking any measures against them, penalizing them in any way, they can apply for relief from the Ministry of Labor. That is certainly something that the employer is not allowed to do. Yeah, because if I'm in a situation like that where I've done, like as you mentioned, 44 and, and maybe 48 or 40 or whatever it is, and I'm over the limit of those first two weeks, uh, there's a potential for me to go in there to work in the third week and find out I've only got 18 hours. Yeah, and I actually think that employers that use those averaging agreements are likely to do something, or if not to that extent, but certainly to to a certain extent, to eliminate those hours. And uh, it is a risk. It is a risk. And an employee does have the ability. And by the way, these averaging agreements are for a specific period of time. Once they expire, the employer has to enter into a new agreement with the employees, although they can be long. They could be uh, you know, they, they could be for a long time. So if the employee does that for a while and they see that they don't like it, that the employer is taking advantage, the next time the employer comes to them and says, I want to average, uh, the employee can say, you know, I've learned my lesson. I don't want to do that again. And they could potentially re- refuse at that point. Leah, what does this do to existing contracts? So with respect to existing contracts, existing contracts generally uh, incorporate the terms of the Employment Standards Act, so they're, uh, they're incorporated into those contracts, so arguably an employer is allowed uh, to do this. Now, in some situations, if an employer uh, is, uh, has established a, a rule by its conduct that it always pays overtime over 44 hours a week, it doesn't matter uh, what happens the other weeks, and now they say, well, wait a second, we want to take advantage of this and we're going to require the employees to sign these agreements. If, if undue pressure is put on the employee, if the employee feels like he or she has no choice but to sign this overtime averaging agreement, this could be a constructive dismissal situation. 
when the employee is face, facing this undue pressure for the reasons that you've said that most people will feel compelled. If you are feeling compelled to do something that you've never had to do before that's going to result in a loss of income for you, you may be able to treat that situation as a constructive dismissal and leave with severance. That's that's an interesting twist on this that I, I before our conversation today, I hadn't actually heard anybody talk about, is is that if, if that contract that I have in place right now uh, was drawn up within the guise of the Employment Standards Act as it stood then, but they've modified the Employment Standards Act, that automatically impacts this contract. I mean, there's going to be a lot of disgruntled employees here. Sure, they're going to be. But remember that an employer and an employee cannot contract out of the Employment Standards Act. They can't agree to terms that are worse than the Employment Standards Act, but they can certainly agree to terms that are better. So if you and your employer have established a practice that provides you, the employee, with better terms than what's in the Employment Standards Act, the employer should not and cannot go, well, now that the Employment Standards Act is more favorable, now I'm going to go back and change the terms to make it worse for you, employee. Anytime an employer makes or insists or, or puts pressure on an employee to make terms of employment worse, though those words, constructive dismissal, sh- should immediately come to mind, and that employee may be able to say, no, I've had enough, I would rather not be here, employer, if you're going to treat me that way, I'll leave with my compensation and move on to a different place. This, uh, this is going to be a sticking point in, in contract negotiations, I would think, between unions and, and, and companies now. Oh, gosh, yeah. It, 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 these issues are, are already a uh, sticking point with uh, unions and, and collective bargaining all the time. So with these added rules, it's going to make that bargaining process that's more, that much more interesting and potentially more explosive. Uh, and it's going to take some time before we see how these uh, provisions are, in fact, impacting employees. But there's certainly potential there for them to, uh, to make life uh, for employees worse or, or to certainly affect their income in any way. And unions, are, of course, are going to try hard for their uh, members to try to uh, yeah, reduce the impact by negotiating favorable terms. And time will tell if they're going to be able to do that. Well, in that scenario, and, and, and the fact that, as you say, it may actually increase the, the possibilities of empl- uh, constructive dismissal charges, you, you may have, you're going to end up at the end of the day here, you're going to have to hire more lawyers, I think, Lior. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm ready for it if needed. No problem. Okay. Listen, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the clarification. Thanks. My pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Of course, Leo Simfuro from Simfuro to Marketing. You can hear them with the law, the legal show, of course, every Saturday here on CHML.